Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. A number of years ago, um, I used to play squash at the local squash courts down here with uh, my two sons and a few mates. And, um, you know, you'd, when you play squash, you take a drink because you get fairly thirsty with all the physical exertion and so forth. And uh, on one particular day, I forgot to take a drink. But that was no problem because there was a vending machine uh, in the squash court just inside the doors as you go down to the squash courts. And uh, I, I don't like vending machines. I really don't. Uh, there are two reasons why I dislike vending machines so much. One is because they offer so much, uh, you know, so much by way of selection. And, uh, you know, if you're two or three in line, then the people in front of you are standing there looking at all the different selections and, you know, 10, 15 minutes has gone past and they still haven't made a selection. Then there's another person behind them and then there's you and uh, I just hate all of the selection. It'd be much easier if they just give you one or two selections. and That'd be easy. The other reason I don't like vending machines is because you know that there's a 90% chance it's going to swallow your money and not give you what you want. <laughs> Who has ever been ripped off with a vending machine? Yeah, exactly. Rotten things. Um, on this particular occasion, I'd forgotten my drink and I went and put money in this vending machine and, uh, as expected, nothing came out the chute. And, uh, look, I, I wouldn't consider myself a violent person. <laughs> but when a vending machine takes you two bucks, there's something triggers inside of me. And, uh, you know, I'm thumping this coin return thing and nothing's happening and I'm whacking the side of the stupid thing and... Nothing's happening and, you know, that thing owed me a can of drink and I wasn't getting it. And, uh, you know, I was getting infuriated with this rotten vending machine until my son came over and said, Dad, what are you doing? Look, there was an out-of-order sign on the thing. <laughs> it wasn't even plugged in. <laughs> vending machines, rotten things. You know, sometimes as Christians we can treat God a little like a vending machine. You know, and we think that if we put the right amount of service, the right amount of worship, the right amount of devotion into that vending machine, then God owes us his blessing. And, you know, when that's not forthcoming, we kick and we scream and we rant and we rave until we get it. Now, the good news is that usually uh, when we serve God faithfully, his blessing flows. That, that's the norm. But what if it isn't? What if that doesn't happen? What if after faithfully serving God year after year after year, his blessing just isn't there? Again, the norm is serve God, he blesses. But what if he doesn't? We're going to look this morning at um, two great Old Testament saints. They're absolute legends, these guys. And um, they're examples of faithfully serving God and not receiving his blessing as expected. And the first example that we want to look at is the example of Job. In Job chapter 1, in the very first verse, we're introduced to this man and we're introduced to a man who is very righteous and very God-fearing. So in chapter 1, verse 1 of Job, we read, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So here's this man faithfully serving God, fearing God, shunning evil. 
And as we read through the book of Job, we see just how faithful this guy was in his relationship to God. Uh, in the verses that follow here, we're not going to read them, but in the verses that follow, uh, we find that his sons and daughters, he had 10 of them, his sons and daughters would regularly meet together and they would feast together. And whenever they did, following the feast, on every occasion, Job would offer sacrifices for his sons and his daughters in case they'd inadvertently sinned against God. You know, so concerned was he not only for his own right standing before God, but for that of his children as well. And as we continue to read through the book of Job, we find that uh, Job's world begins to unravel. And he has these three advisors, Aliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. And they come to him continually and say to him, Job, you must have sinned. You must have done something terrible uh, for your world to unravel in the way that it has. And on each of those occasions that these advisors come to him with that knowledge, uh, Job's righteousness is upheld. And so here we have a man who has faithfully served God over many years of his life. And as a result of that, God's blessing was there. And we read in verse 2 that he, Job, had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among the people of the East. So God had blessed Job in a material way. He'd given him a lot by way of possessions. And I read one account here where uh, someone tried to measure Job's wealth in uh, today's terms. And this person said that uh, if you were just measuring his possessions in terms of his livestock, uh, not anything else, just his livestock and all that was mentioned here, the camels, the cattle and so forth, uh, Job would in today's standards be worth $58 million, just in livestock, $58 million. Now, again, this is in a day before stock markets and, uh, you know, uh, offshore, no offshore tax havens in the Cayman Islands or anything like that. So in this day and age, uh, Job was a very, very, very wealthy man. God had blessed him in material ways. But the twist of the story comes a little bit further on in chapter 1. We read that uh, Satan appears before God in the heavenly realms. And he, he says to God, look, Job is only serving you so faithfully because of the way that you've blessed him. And there's almost this wager that Satan makes with God. And he says, I bet that if you took all of that from Job, that he would begin to curse you to your face. And God said, fair enough, I, I trust Job. Um, let's put that to the test. You can take anything from Job, just don't take the man's life. And Job had no idea that this transaction had taken place in the heavenlies. He had no idea was about what was about to befall him. Uh, but we read then later on in chapter 1 these words. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put all the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, fire from God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. 
They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still... You'd get sick of visitors by this time, wouldn't you? (laughs) You'd be tempted to lock the door, throw away the key, and just say, go away! There's no one home. Go away! Uh, But another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house... It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So again, have in mind what's happening here. Here is a man who has faithfully served God for many, many years, year after year after year after year, uh, looking after his own standing before God and even that of his children. He was so righteous and so upright. And one day, God's blessing wasn't there. It had always been there. But on this particular day, it was all gone. In fact, not only was there nothing in the chute, the whole machine was empty. There was nothing there for Job. But I love Job's response to all of this. Verse 20. Did he rant and rave? Did he kick and scream? Did he curse God? No. Listen to his response. Verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Um, Men of wealth back then uh, wore a robe over their garments and the tearing of that robe was a gesture of of, of mourning. And, uh, you know, the shaving of the head was also part of the mourning rituals of the ancients. So it says here, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, God did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What an amazing response from Job. Again, the amount of service that he put into that slot, he had every right to expect that God's blessing would come tumbling down that chute. But on this particular day, nothing. And Job's response, well, (laughs) came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. May the name of the Lord be praised. What an awesome response. And the challenge that comes to us this morning, certainly the challenge that comes to me, uh, is this. Would you still serve God if he did not bless you materially? Would you still serve God if he did not bless you materially? You know, none of us are as wealthy as Job. Probably none of us stand to lose as much as Job did. But we're doing pretty well, aren't we? Now, I watched um, Jen and I, our our son came home from Melbourne a couple of weekends ago. And we watched that movie, The Blind Side. Has anyone seen the movie, The Blind Side? Fantastic movie. The story of um, a guy by the name of Michael Orr. Um, He was a homeless boy. And uh, a family took him in and they gave him, you know, food and shelter, um, some educational opportunities and Michael Orr went on to become a great in American football. And there's one particular scene in this movie where uh, the lady of the house, Sandra Bullock's character, uh, takes him up to a bedroom and uh, shows him the bedroom and says, Michael, this is where you you know, this is your bedroom, you can stay here. And uh, she said, this is a dresser where you can put all your clothes. Uh, there's a cupboard there where you can hang your shirts. And 
there's a bed there for you to lie on. And uh, he's looking around the room and he's bewildered by it all. And uh, she turns to him and says, Michael, what's up? And his response was, I've never had one before. And she said, what, a bedroom? He said, no, a bed. And uh, she fought back the tears as she realised how much she had compared with how little he had. And, uh, you know, we're doing pretty good. We've got beds to go to. We've got roofs over our head. You know, we can get from A to B pretty easily. We've got more clothes than we know what to do with. Clearly, I haven't. Um, <laughs> we're doing okay. But would you still serve God if he did not bless you as much as he does? Because we're a blessed people. I'm always challenged by men and women who have given up so much to serve God. And one guy that is a bit of a hero of mine uh, is a guy by the name of C.T. Studd, Charles Studd. And um, Charles Studd was born in 1860. He was a missionary to China and India, but probably the great work of his life was done in inland Africa. But before he became a missionary, he had a very promising career as a cricketer. This is why he's one of my heroes. I love my cricket. And um, he had a very promising uh, career as a cricketer. He captained uh, the Cambridge Eleven. Uh, he went on to Eton and captained their cricket team as well, prestigious team, and uh, captained them. He even went on to play for his country. He played for England. Now, that might not, not seem too impressive to some of you, but there was a day when England was good at cricket. Um, and he, he played for England. And, uh, in fact, he played in the original Ashes Test in 1882. The original Ashes Test. This is that test match where Australia defeated England for the very, very first time in history. And... Uh, England went into meltdown over this because we'd beaten them. And uh, they, they took the, you know, the morning paper uh, posted on the front page an obituary to in, uh, English cricket saying England cricket, English cricket is dead. And um, they took the stumps, not the stumps, but the bales from that match, they burned them, they put the ashes in the urn, and that's the little urn that Australia, that's the ashes that Australia plays for every time we play England. Uh, well, C.T. Studd played in that match uh, that's how good he was as a cricketer and that, that's how much of a promising career he had as a cricketer. But not only did he have a promising cricketing career, um, he also grew up in the lap of luxury. Uh, his father, Edward, had made an absolute fortune in India as an indigo trader. And at 25, C.T. Studd had inherited a fortune. But God called him to the mission field and C.T. Studd turned his back on everything. And I've got an image here that will come up on the screen. This is from his biography. This is the mansion that he turned his back on and the accommodation that he had in Africa as a missionary. It's astounding what he left behind and what he took on. Left everything. And you tell me God hasn't got a sense of humour. I love God's sense of humour. Uh, God called C.T. Studd to the mission field in this fashion. Uh, one day he was walking down a street in Liverpool and he came across a sign in a shop window. And it was this sign that God used to call C.T. Studd to the mission field. And that sign simply read, Cannibals want missionaries. <laughs> now, the, 
the image in my head of a, a, you know, a cauldron with missionaries with a little pith hat in it boiling away, that would send me away from the mission field. Uh, but God called CT Stud to the mission field through uh, that sign, Cannibals Want Missionaries. And he gave up everything and went to inland Africa. And for all of his days, uh, he served them out in Africa on the mission field. And again, I'm always challenged by men and women today and in the past who have given up everything to serve God. But these guys have done that voluntarily. They've willingly surrendered what they've got. But what if one day we wake up like Job and it's all gone? It wasn't willingly done, but it's gone. Would you still serve God under those conditions? Again, none of us, I I expect, would go through anything like that. But what if um, one day you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and your job's gone? You know, for years, God has provided you and blessed you with that security. And one day you wake up and it's all gone. How would you respond to God in that circumstance? Or what if one morning you wake up and your health is gone? You know, for years God has blessed you with good health and you've been able to do whatever you wanted to do in life, but one morning it's just not there. What would your reaction to God be under those circumstances? Or that the bottom of your barrel falls out from under you financially. You know, what would your response to God be in those circumstances? You know, I've been a Christian now for over 35 years and... um, I've seen many people whose life circumstances have taken a turn for the worse and they've turned their back on God. And I get the pain and I I get the hurt involved in loss. I get the suffering. Uh, You know, but if you turn your back on God, you've had a vending machine, God. And, you know, you're happy to serve God when, you know, his blessing's tumbling down that chute, but as soon as it stops, out out the door you go. You know, that's a vending machine, God, and God needs to be so much more to us than that. So that's the first challenge that comes to me this morning as we look at Job. Would you still serve God if he did not bless you materially? The second one is this. Would you still serve God if he did not bless you spiritually? In other words, you've given your life to serving God according to your gifts. And after all of these years, you look back and you can't see any or you see little fruit for your labours. You know, it might be in uh, kids' ministry or children's ministry. And over the years, you look back and you think, I see no change in young people's lives. You know, it might be just being that faithful witness and that faithful voice for God in the workplace or in the schoolyard. And over the years, not one life has changed. Would you still serve God if he did not bless you spiritually? Here we need to look at the example of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah grew up in a priestly family and at a very young age God called him from his father's house and said Jeremiah I don't want you to be a priest you're going to be a prophet and for 40 years Jeremiah prophesied uh, to the southern tribe of Judah now Let me just give you a little bit of Old Testament history for those who need it. Um, You might know or you might remember that um, uh, for many years of their history, Israel did not have a king. And uh, the people came to Samuel and said, we want a king. We want to be like all of the other nations. Give us a king. And uh, so 
Samuel took this to God. God relented and said, look, give them a king if that's what they want. Give them a king. Uh, here's all the bad stuff that a king will do for them, uh, but give them a king if that's what they want. And uh, so they got a king. They got King Saul. Uh, David followed him and then Solomon. Now, that period of Israelite history we called the United Kingdom. Not the UK, but the United Kingdom of Israel. Now, after Solomon, the kingdom divided into two. Um, there was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And both of those kingdoms, God raised up prophets uh, to send to each of those two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. And basically the prophets had the same message, stop sinning, turn from sin, turn back to God, or God's judgment will fall. And that happened in the northern kingdom at about 722 BC, and the Assyrians came and attacked and destroyed the northern kingdom. Now, Jeremiah prophesied to this southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah, and for 40 years he prophesied this same message, stop sinning, turn to God, and avert his wrath. Um, that did not happen, unfortunately, and in 586 BC, uh, Jerusalem fell uh, to the Babylonians. And it was in this latter period of the southern kingdom's history that Jeremiah prophesied. And he preached um, doom and gloom, uh, return or God's judgment will fall. And that message was not a popular message. And as we read through the book of Jeremiah, we read that he was hated, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was put in stocks. On one occasion, he was thrown in a muddy pit, he was put in prison, he was accused of treason, he was threatened with death, and we read that even his own family turned against him. All of this after 40 years of ministry. And it caused him much anguish and much grief, so much so that we know him today as the weeping prophet. And listen to this. This is, after, these are, this is what we read after 40 years of preaching the same message to the same people with very little to no response. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 44. Then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other gods, along with all of the women who were present, a large assembly, and all the people living in Lower and Upper Egypt said to Jeremiah, we will not listen to the message that you are proclaiming to us in the name of the Lord. Forty years of preaching to this stiff-necked people and after 40 years, they still said, we will not listen to the message that you are proclaiming to us in the name of the Lord. 40 years, that's a lot of coins being put into that slot over the years and nothing coming out of the chute. But again, I love Jeremiah's response. Back here in chapter 20. And again, Feel his hurt and feel something of his pain as he says this to God. He cries out to God, O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But listen to this. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary from holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Forty years of faithful ministry 
and nothing to show at the end of it. You know, one would say, well, if you're putting coins in and there's nothing coming down the chute, stop putting the coins in. But Jeremiah said, I can't. I've got this message inside that God has given me and it's burning and I've got to get it out. You know, in spite of the fact that there's no evidence, no fruit, I've got to tell God's word. Would you still serve God if he did not bless you spiritually? I don't know if you've ever been given a task to do, you know, a relatively simple task, and you've stuffed it up, and you've heard someone behind you say, you had one job. Have you ever had that experience? You had one job. My, um, my father passed away back in 1991, and um, my sister and I divvied up the jobs that needed doing, you know, looking after wills and uh, funeral and stuff like that. One of the jobs that I was given was to organise the, the grave plaque for the lawn cemetery. Relatively simple job. All you've got to do is go into the uh, funeral directors and give them all of the details. That was the problem. <laughs> um, my mother and my father were born one day apart on the 25th and 26th of September. Uh, they were a year apart but one day apart. Uh, 25th and 26th of September. Now, my father was a truckie and he absolutely loved his truck and he had this one favourite photo of him stepping down from his truck and we thought we would spend a bit of money on this grave plaque and get this image of him and his truck uh, put into his grave plaque. Uh, so we were willing to spend a bit of money to get that done. And uh, I went along and instead of giving them my father's birth date, I gave them my mother's birth date. Uh, so instead of the 26th of September on his grave plaque, it read the 25th of September. And um, every time now that I speak to my sister, whenever we're talking about Dad, whenever we're recounting old stories, uh, I hear those words, you had one job, one job, and I mucked it up. Uh, I've got a, just a few images here of people who had just one job. Let's have a look. <laughs> you would hope that someone from the council would be able to identify a school zone and spell the word school correctly. Uh, apparently not. Okay, another one. Any engineers amongst us? <laughs> what knucklehead, what knucklehead would put the stormwater drain on the highest part of the ground? It's doing absolutely nothing. Okay, last one. <laughs> That's a bike but I wonder if that was the same engineer that did the other one. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it, doesn't it? Absolute knucklehead. One job. You had one job. You know, when we're thinking about serving God and ministering and, you know, having an input into people's lives and changing people's lives, again, whether it's with young people, uh, whether it's just being that faithful witness in the workplace or the schoolyard, whether it's leading a home group, whatever it is. Our job is not to bear fruit. Our job is simply to be faithful to what God has called us to do. That's our one job. We can't bear fruit. 
We can't bring spiritual fruit. That's God's job through his Holy Spirit. Our one job is to just do what God has called us to do and to do it faithfully. And I wonder if Jeremiah had some insight into that. After 40 years with nothing, nothing to show, he said, I've got this fire in my belly and I'm just going to keep doing it. Even though there's nothing coming down the chute, I've got one job and I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave the rest to God because that's not my job. And I love these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, these verses, of course, were written by the Apostle Paul. Paul founded this church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. And we read in the book of Acts that having founded the church, he stayed with the church for 18 months uh, before moving on and continuing on with his missionary journey. And um, uh, so he founded the church and then people like Apollos came in and they were teaching within the church in Paul's absence. And one of the problems that the church in Corinth had, uh, there were many, but one of the problems that they had was that there were divisions within the church. And some people were saying, I follow Paul. And others were saying, well, I follow Apollos. You know, I'm on team Paul. I'm on team Apollos. And Paul wrote into that situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is what he said. What is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. That was Paul's one job. Okay? Paul's one job. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. That was Apollos' one job. But listen to this. But God made it grow. That's God's job. It's not our job to bring people to Christ. It's not our job to cause them to grow in the faith. That's God's job. We have one job, planting Watering, I don't know. But God's job is to bring fruit. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, one job, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We put so much pressure on ourselves when we expect that it's our job to turn people to Christ. That's not our job, that's God's. Just do what God has called you to do and leave the rest to him. Just be faithful to God. The rest is none of our business. I'm going to ask the team to come back. You know, vending machines are frustrating. You know, if we put coins in the slot... They owe us something. But God's not a vending machine and he doesn't owe us anything. But here's the thing. Whether or not God blesses us, we serve regardless. And here's the kicker. Here's the take home for this morning. If you think that there's nothing in the chute, take another look. Because I'm telling you, that shoot is overflowing. God has blessed us so much, even when it appears that he hasn't. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world to die on the cross so that I might have, that you might have the forgiveness of sins. And my daily experience, your daily experience, if you're in Christ, is that you are forgiven and that you have an eternity stored up for you in heaven. We have an inheritance, the scripture tells us, that can never fade, spoil, or rust. That's our daily experience as Christians. You know, when it seems like there's no blessing, that's already in the chute. 
That's there every day. Every day we experience God's love. Every day we experience his forgiveness. Every day we have God's spirit working within us, encouraging us, strengthening us, leading us, guiding us. Again, that's our daily experience. That's always in the shoot. We are blessed beyond measure, even when it appears God's blessing's not with us. Let's pray. Father God, you're a good God, even when we don't see the good that we think we deserve. Uh, you're a good God, you bless us abundantly, and I pray, Father, this morning that our eyes will be open to see just how blessed we are as children of God. Father God, I thank you for the examples of um, men and women who have served you faithfully. Thank you this morning for the example of Job. Thank you for the example of Jeremiah. And it's simply my prayer this morning that each one of us will have the same attitude that they showed, that regardless of what we may find by way of blessing, that we'd serve you. Uh, that that service would be without any strings attached. And Father God, that you would find us day by day being faithful to what you've called us to do. Again, thank you for the way that you abundantly bless us and our commitment today is to serve you in all that we do, in all that we say, for all of our lives. We commit ourselves to you for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen.